This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Include this sermon series on, on giving. Uh, the point we have to get on our hearts is everything is the Lord's. Everything. I know there are people who have a perspective that, man, I've earned this money. We're in America. You know, in America, we're taught this work ethic that, you know what, you go out and you work hard and you earn your, your money, your livelihood. Uh-oh. There you go. At least you didn't try to sneak up here because that's futile. <laughs> Let's give the AV team a hand. They did a great job this morning. Um... Just so you know, we're having baptism uh, coming up. If you haven't been baptized before, uh, we're going to meet at the Morrises. There's Carl over there in the corner trying to hide as I call her out. Uh, we're going to go in a pool this year, so we won't go to the park. It'll be in a pool. So if you haven't been baptized, you're considering getting baptized or maybe even re-baptized. Uh, it's coming up here in the next uh, couple of months. If you could, please talk to Dory. Uh, she's in the kids area. She's the one helping facilitate that process. There'll be more information coming in the, next, in the upcoming weeks. Also, we're going to have a gigantic outreach event. That was a pregnant pause, and some people got it. <laughs> um, so August the 12th, I, I just want to tell you how awesome God is. Um, last month, we were in the process of trying to, and I'll be honest, raise uh, $42,000, which is at that point, or well, per- currently still is, about one-third of our budget, and we had to raise it within three weeks, and God blessed us, and we raised that dollar amount, and that was by the, the grace of God, um, so praise God for that, but while we were in the process of raising funds, we got connected with a partner who loved our heart, the, just the heart of the church. We didn't have any money because we were asking for money, right? But, but they loved the heart of the church. And because they love the heart of our church, they have now offered to give us almost unlimited resources as long as we use those resources to bless the city of Brooklyn Park. Amen. So what is beginning on August the 12th of this month, a hopefully... A lifelong effort of this church to reach out to Brooklyn Park. I do believe this will define a large part of this ministry. Um, Haley, who didn't ask to come up, I'm not going to ask to come up. Raise your hand, Haley. If you have a heart to come and help us uh, to be a blessing to the city of Brooklyn Park, see her. Um, I'm sure she could use help, volunteers, support. My hope is we could do this monthly. Uh, this is the beginning of a, like I said before, a lifelong process of this church to give because God has given so richly to this church. How, pastor, has God given richly to this church? Because you were just saying that you were in debt. Now, when we talk about what the true riches are, I personally am, am under the persuasion that true riches are not necessarily finances. The true riches of God are the, are the, can constitute the fact that God is with you. That there, there are times when you're in trouble. There's times when you and your wife are 
fussing. I say fussing, right? And you just need some love. And you don't even know where that love is going to come from. There are times when your children are struggling. And you don't even know how to get them back on the right path. There are times when mentally you're just not there. And you need help. And when God shows up on your doorstep in those moments, understand that that, are, that constitutes the true riches of God. There will be times when you're like, God, I need more than just, you know, a miracle. I need money, and God can do that too. But just the fact that God is there, that when he whispers, you're close enough to hear his voice. Those are riches. Those aren't just make-believe things. These are real truth. These are real realities. That's why we say, Amen. Let it be so. I do believe one day we will all be wealthy. And, and the problem is, I don't know if that's going to happen in this lifetime. Scriptures speak consistently that your riches are stored up in heaven. Where moth and rust don't corrupt. Where thieves cannot break in and steal. That's why the scripture says, set your minds on things above. My earnest belief is that while you're here on earth, you are really a conduit of God's blessings. That's why you look the way you do. That's why you have the gifts and talents that you do. Some people are great at sports. And you give your gifts back to people who are not necessarily as good as you with the hope that they'll get better. Some of you are great at teaching and you use those gifts to help bless other people. God has given you gifts not for yourself. He's giving you those gifts, hopefully, with the intent that you give those gifts to those people who need them. God has a plan for your life. And currently, as an ambassador of God, God wants to use you to be a blessing to the world. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Sometimes I wake up and I pray. I'm like, Lord, do I actually care about other people today? I don't know. I'm just being honest. Am I in this for other people? Do I genuinely care about how somebody else's marriage is doing? Do I genuinely care about, you know, what's going on in someone else's life? Or am I going to go through this day never even thinking about anybody else but myself? I'll be honest, I've had those days where the whole day, every moment of the day, my mind was on me. And I didn't realize that was wrong. I said, well, who else is going to think about me? If I don't think about me, because no one else loves me, right? You know, you get in those situations. But God loves you. He has a plan for your life. You have an eternal high priest whose name is Jesus Christ. And he is always praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf. He's talking to God for you. And he has a plan for your life. And hopefully you'll work with him in order to complete God's purpose for your life. And money is a part of that. Not because he needs your money, because God owns it all. But you need God involved in your money. God has a plan for all of you. Down to your toenails, your hangnails. God has a plan for that. He has a plan for your life. You have to be willing to surrender and trust him with that plan. And that's something you need to do every single day. If you can't help your Bibles, of Hebrews chapter 7. I got a quote I want to go through first, and we'll jump into some background information regarding Hebrews. 
It says the priesthood of Christ is not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an indestructible life. Aaron was constituted a high priest according to the powerless letter of the law, but Christ according to the powerful element of an indestructible life. Our high priest is constituted of a life which nothing can conquer, but which rather conquers everything. It's a life which cannot be destroyed, a life which saves to the uttermost. The endless, eternal, divine, uncreated life, the resurrection life, which has passed the death of death in Hades. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews is one of my most favorite books in the Bible. Do I say that every week? I really mean it every time I say it. The reason why Hebrews is, to me, one of the more important books of the Bible because we believe whoever the author is was addressing certain particularities about the law in contrast to this new covenant relationship we have with God. Here, Jesus Christ is juxtaposed. Jesus Christ is compared in contrast to all the different aspects of the Old Testament. Jesus is compared to Moses. Jesus is compared to the angels. Jesus is compared to Aaron and Levitical priesthood. Jesus is always better. And because we have a better high priest, we have better promises. People don't understand oftentimes the law is not something that we can possibly follow. Last week we talked about tithes. And the point was, man, we got to do it. Because if it's not in your heart already to do, we tell you here, don't do it because there's no benefit. God has came to change our hearts. To put the law inside of us so that we want to do it. That's part of being born again. The law was to show us no matter how hard we tried, no matter how competent we may be, we cannot do what God asked us to do. And because we can't do what God asked us to do, He hopes that we fall on our knees. And He hopes that we cry out. He hopes that we say, Jesus, help me. I can't do it. You have to save me from myself. Because I have not the moral fortitude, the competency, the will, the capacity to do the things that you have written. If you look in the Old Testament, every single time God gave a law, almost the very next chapter, they are breaking that law. It's a consistent pattern. Give a law, break it. Give another law, break it, and on and on. The point was no matter how many laws or amendments God gave, they could not keep the law. And now, during the time of the writing of the Hebrews, which comes between 50 or 70 A.D., the author, who we don't know who it is, is writing to the Hebrew Christians who are confused. Remember, at this time, the temple is still there. There's still sacrifices going on in the temple at this moment. And the author is writing, trying to tell them, you no longer need to... Believe or trust in the sacrifices because the sacrifices were designed to point to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the whole point of the matter. We're going to talk about a man today called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was, in a sense, one of the most popular people of the Bible. He has only talked about probably six, five times in the entire Bible. Twice in the Old Testament. And then this here chapter in Chapter 7 is the most extensive information we get about this man. We're not going to go into who his identity was because there's a lot of books out there trying to tell you who Melchizedek was. Some people argue that he was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. 
Some people say, well, man, maybe he was a different immortal being, an eternal being. We don't know who he was. The Bible's not trying to tell us who he was. But the point of Melchizedek is that he's looking to Jesus Christ. The point of this man who, in a sense, confronted Abraham. At the time, his name was not Abraham, it was Abram. And as he is coming back from the battle of the kings, Abram is a little bit downcast because he has to, once again, confront another king, the king of Sodom. Abram has just won a battle and has gotten all this stuff. And now he's like, oh no, the king of Sodom is coming up possibly to try to get all the stuff that I just won. Now some of the king of Sodom's stuff was his that Abraham had. Nevertheless, Abraham was like, oh no, I'm not ready for another battle. I'm not ready for another fight. But before the king of Sodom and Gomorrah came to Abram, Melchizedek comes there. And Melchizedek blesses him. He encourages him. He gives him bread and wine. He speaks God's words over his life. Abraham then is encouraged. And then soon after in that chapter, he talks to the king of Sodom. And the very words that come out of his mouth are the very words that he was just spoken to by Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He points to Jesus. How Jesus relates to us. How Jesus interacts with us. We don't know how Melchizedek became a high priest of God. He's not in the Levitical lineage. He's not a descendant of Abraham. As a matter of fact, Abraham was blessed by him. This guy was worshiping God before the Jewish religion was even created. Where did he get this insight and this knowledge? The Bible doesn't tell us. But the only thing the Bible is trying to communicate is this guy Melchizedek is somebody to be remembered. Because when it's all said and done, Melchizedek represents Jesus and the priesthood that we as current believers are a part of. You may get confused when we try to talk about the Levitical priesthood and the different nuances of that particular faith. We're not going to go too deep, but we're going to go a little deep today. So I'm going to pray and ask God to open up our understanding to my lips so that I can communicate God's word clearly and hopefully you can hear what God's trying to say this morning. Father God, I ask you to speak through me. Give me wisdom. Lord, I pray, Father God, your words penetrate and produce fruit that gives you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Hebrews at this time, they're confused. Man, you're telling me to worship Jesus. You're telling me I don't have to partake of the Levitical sacrifices. <laughs> you're telling me I don't have to go to the temple because now the church is the temple. I'm the temple. So the author lays down sequentially how the faith now being born, Christianity, is superior than the old covenant. Let's jump in. 7 verse 1. It says, For Melchizedek, king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Let me stop right there because from that point, there's no new information that has been given out. Everything that's been said here has already been said in the book of Genesis. 
This is something that every Jewish believer at the time would be like, okay, this is, I, I got this. I understand this. So what he's saying here is Melchizedek, which means what? King of righteousness. Malik Zadik. King of righteousness. It says right here. King of Salem. Salem means what? Peace. King of righteousness. King of peace. Some scholars try to say, well, he's the king of peace. He's also the king of Salem. So he's, he's the king of Salem. Oh, and he's also the king of righteousness. So some people try to teach it's, it's representative of Jesus Christ's first and second coming. When Jesus Christ first came, he represented the king of righteousness. And the second time, he represented the king of peace. All really good stuff. But here, the point isn't necessarily that. The point is, this was a guy who worshipped God, and he had a high status. His status was so high that the author trying to get us to look a little bit deeper into his profile. It says here in verse 3, without father. It's talking about Melchizedek. It's not talking about Jesus or Moses, Levi or Aaron. It says, Melchizedek, right here, is without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end. Now, I have to give several caveats here because at this point is when everybody loses their mind. We don't know if this guy was eternal. We don't know necessarily if this was the pre-incarnate Christ. That's not the point we need to focus on. Some people argue, well, look, in the scriptures, the scriptures don't convey that he had a father. The scriptures don't talk about his mother. The scriptures don't talk about his lineage or when he died. The scriptures are silent regarding Melchizedek up to this point when Abraham comes in, he just pops on the scene. But every single word of the Bible is there for a specific reason. There is a design in the scriptures authenticating God's purpose and plan. And the author of Hebrews understands that. He said there was information omitted for your sake to highlight a man because he has something to do with our internal inheritance. Melchizedek is just not another figure. He is a part of your eternal destiny. It goes on it says, but may like the Son of God. We're going into the text a little heavier today, but understand this. This like is a simile. It doesn't mean exactly. It means close to. So we hear here, see it. There's a distinction between Melchizedek and the Son of God, who is Jesus. This is when some scholars jump on and say, ha ha, this guy's not Jesus. That's not the point. Whether he is or not, we know this guy is special. The author of Hebrews is trying to say, Melchizedek is special. Now listen to this. But remains a priest continually. That's the point I didn't want to leave out. So this guy, made like the Son of God, is continually a priest. We'll talk more about that later. But remember, in the Levitical priesthood, they were only priests while they lived. But when they died, they were no longer what? Priests, because they were dead. And somebody else had to take their place. Here, it's alluded to that this guy Melchizedek was an eternal priest. Or a type of eternal priest who would not die. So he's always there, able to make intercession, to pray, to bless those people who are worshipers of God. Look at verse 4. 
Now consider how great this man was. <laughs> consider. To whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. He's like, listen to this. Abraham is the father of faith. Abraham is one of the greatest human beings that has ever lived on the face of this earth. But this guy Melchizedek, the Bible says, was greater than him. The Bible says this guy was greater than Abraham. Jews, Christians, and even Muslims all lay claim to Abraham. He is the pinnacle, the epitome of their faith. But this Melchizedek, the scriptures say, is greater than him. This man. He was so great that Abraham gave a tenth of what he had. A tenth to him. He gave it not because there was a law. He gave it because Abraham recognized this guy is a great man. This guy is a priest of God. And because he's a priest of God, I am going to freely give to him because God has allowed me to win this victory. Five. And indeed those who are sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from people according to the law. So here, according to our literary clues, we see a contrast between Melchizedek's priesthood, who Abraham freely gave to, and who? The Levitical priesthood, which started with Aaron, correct? And under the law, Jews had to give a tenth of their income to the priest, out of compulsion almost. Even if they didn't want to, even if the priest was a bad person, even if he was sinister or the joker as a priest, Lord forbid, but he still was obligated to give him a tenth. In contrast to someone who is compelled to give to somebody who could be evil, Abraham is giving to someone who's better freely. According to law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. He's trying to communicate here, even though they're all Jews, all the Jews have to give a tenth to the Levites because it was commanded in the law. Next point. Hold on with me. We're almost done. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. It's trying to say here, hey, this guy Melchizedek was not from the loins of Abraham. Not a descendant, but he still received tithes. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. It's trying to make a clear point. The better person received tithes from the lesser person. Some people might like to hear this because, wow, you're saying he's more valuable. That's not my words. That's what the Scripture is saying. This guy was very valuable. As a matter of fact, as Abraham was valuable, and think about this. Abraham would bless the entire planet. Think about this. This guy received a promise that would bless every ethnicity on the planet Yet the scripture saying here, this guy Melchizedek 
is better than him. Don't underestimate how important this guy was. Verse 8. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. We've got to look at this text a little bit closer. Because there's a contrast between mortal men and the one who lives. It's contrasting the Levites. And here, the first time you see in this particular per- pericope, this portion of Scripture, contrasting humans who die with Jesus Christ who lives forever. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men or men who die or death do men receive tithes. But in contrast to that there, where is there? This is the part I can't run from. Honestly, I fought hard to get to this point. I'm sweating. I'm thinking about, hey, are they sticking with me? This is the most important part of this text. All right. If you have a marker, mark it on your Bible. If you have a highlighter on your Bible app, highlight this particular scripture. Look at this one more time with me because this is so important. When someone asks you, do we tithe? You will see a lot of arguments that say, no, we don't tithe. We're not obligated to tithe. Look at this scripture right here. In verse 8, once again, here on this earth, here, mortal men receive tithes. And here, still referencing the context of Hebrews, giving tithes to the Levites. But listen to this. But in contrast to here, There, everybody with me? There, he receives them. There, Jesus receives them is what it's trying to say. This is trying to make the point that this is a, in a sense, command, reality, a point. This is something that does not pass away with an age. It's going to make this point from this part of the scripture to the end. Jesus Christ is forever our high priest. I try to make arguments for heaven and how in heaven there will be economy. You will have responsibilities in heaven all. You're going to have jobs in heaven, employment. You will have something to do in heaven. Our work does not end when this life is over. We sleep, but then we are resurrected to a new heaven and new earth. And in that heaven and in that earth, you're going to have responsibilities. There's going to be stuff you have to do. I try to tell people who come to me and say, heaven is going to be boring. No! Heaven is going to be exciting. There's going to be industry, entrepreneurship. There's going to be life. God promises kingdoms and responsibilities and gifts and homes and houses. God promises there's going to be a time when people bring all their gifts to him. In Jerusalem, this is not a practice that ends in this life. Now, the point that does change is there won't be a command for you to give. Abraham was not commanded to give to Melchizedek. Abraham gave willingly. Now, when you give today, there's no command for a New Testament believer to give. That's factual. But... The point is, you give what you get to God willingly. It's all free will offerings. God asks you to give the first of your fruit, the first of your cattle, the first of your increase. 
And the fact that you're able to do it is also a sign that you trust him. When you get to heaven, the Bible says what? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these are love. Well, you got to realize at the end of that chapter, the reason why hope is going to go away. Once you see Jesus face to face, there's a reason to hope because he's right in front of you. And faith, why do you have to have faith when I'm looking at Jesus? I don't need to have faith that my iPad is right in front of me. It's right there. But love will be something that perpetuates from now and forever. Giving to God is something that we will do because we are his children. God doesn't need your money. You need the Lord. Is everybody, st- no one walked out? Except for Nate, he walked, oh, he walked out. Oh, man. That was the first time that happened, but we'll, I'll get it better next time. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says. There's no commandment for you New Testament believers to give. There's, there's none. But you do give willingly to God if you're going to give. We will reiterate this until we stop, until I'm the, not the pastor. If I go to another church, I'll say the same thing. If you go to another church, hear the same thing. Give to God because you want to. Be a cheerful giver. If you're not cheerful, keep it in your pocket. It's not benefiting anybody. If you're giving and you're grumbling, this guy, he's, I always made the joke, he's trying to get him another airplane. Yes, Jared and I have two airplanes out back. And we use those airplanes to fly around spreading truth. That's not true. That's a complete lie. At least I was honest. Our hope is that when you give, you understand you're giving to Jesus. You're not giving to Endurance Church. Or if you go to another church, you're not even giving in that church. Even though that church uses your income, Jesus Christ is the high priest of the New Testament. Jesus. And he will always be your priest from now until the end of time. Verse 9 says... Even Levi, now Levi was a son of Jacob. It's going back to Aaron's great-great-great-grandfather, almost 400 plus years. Even Levi, who receives tithes, pays tithes through Abraham, so to speak. This is a hard point. It's trying to say Levi, who at this point, and Abraham being alive is, wait, hold, this, this point, is, is my mic Okay. Okay. Levi, at this point, is dead. And the Levitical priesthood is working. But God, the Holy Spirit, reckons Levi receiving tithes through his sons. I'm not the one who wrote it. (laughs) This is the scripture. But the point is trying to make, hey, you know what? Even Levi, the father of the Levitical priesthood, is paying tithes. He did so through the loins of Abraham. Even though he wasn't alive, he was his great-great-great-great-great-grandson. And it's reckoned that he gave tithes to Abraham. So he is, Melchizedek, greater than even Levi. Verse 10. For he still in the loins of his father, Melchizedek, met him. 20. We're winding down. And as much as he was not made a priest without oath, For they have become priests without oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. The point that's being made there is really clear. When you're a Levitical priest, you are born into the priesthood. There was no ceremony. There was no oath. Because my daddy was a priest, I'm a priest. Now, my daddy wasn't no priest. He wasn't no preacher. My great-grandfather was a pastor. My cousin was a pastor. But it wasn't anything I inherited because I'm a Gentile. But in this culture right here, if your dad was a priest, you automatically fell into the priesthood. There was no oath taken. But Jesus Christ was given an oath. He was given a vow by God saying that you, Jesus, are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What's so interesting is this comes out the blue. It goes from Genesis 14. You're talking about Melchizedek. You don't hear anything else about this man almost the entire rest of the Old Testament until you get to Psalms chapter 110 verse 4. And there, this scripture comes up. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, a messianic psalm. Here, the Holy Spirit inspired David to say God, he's seeing in the Spirit, has given a vow that Jesus Christ be a priest, not in the order of Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus became the surety of a better covenant. And we'll conclude in the text today. 23, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. Meaning they were priests every generation. Some died early, some died a little later in life. Nevertheless, there were new priests, one after the other, because they all were mortal. They all died. But here, 24, in contrast to these priests who died, he, Jesus Christ, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. See, there's a lot of difference between the Levitical priest and Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every single way we were as human beings. The Levitical priests, they stayed separated for the entire community. They didn't understand the test and temptations as the ordinary Jewish person. But Jesus Christ was out and about like us. He was going around to live in life. He went out to the desert and was tempted by Satan. He hung around the common people, the average people. He hung around rich people and poor people. He faced every single temptation that we did, yet he did not fall. And we have that priest who's in heaven right now when we are making mistakes. He can talk to God and say, oh, Lord, it's okay. I know how that feels like. That's a rough one, God. Because you have to understand, priests represent us, the people, to God. Prophets represent God to the people. And whenever we make a mistake, we have somebody up there talking to God on our behalf. Don't you get a God doesn't understand the chicanery, the foolishness that we're doing. The Father's like, what in the world? They're crazy. And Jesus, oh, Father, wait, wait, wait. Hold up. Give him, give him another chance. Don't give up. I know what he's facing. I felt those temptations. I felt that. I know it's so hard. For my sake, Lord, forgive them. Give them another chance. And God's like, okay, for your sake, Jesus, I'll forgive them for their, for their failures. In 25, it says, 
Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who have come to God through him, since he always lived to make intercession for them. <sighs> we made it. I was so looking forward to preaching Hebrews because I love it, but it's a very hard text to get through. The point is trying to make in chapter 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus is greater. And the point, not only is Jesus greater, Jesus will always be. We have entered into this covenant that we will never get out of. We are on the journey that has started that does not end. This ritualistic part of our existence does not end. There's an etiquette in approaching God. There's an etiquette into engaging with God. We can't come into God's presence and forgive the vernacular willy-nilly. We can't just treat God like he's, oh, the big guy. My homeboy, my friend, man, God's presence wipes people out. And there's a way that you have to enter into his, there's a correct way, and that's only through Jesus Christ. And that doesn't end once we enter eternity. The protocol will still be in place. If I was going to meet the president, there are certain things I can't say to the president. There are certain ways I have to interact with the president because he's the president. If I go to the Queen of England or the Prince of England, I can't just go up to him and say, I remember as I'm talking, the prince and princess, I think, of England came over and they were visiting. I think LeBron James was hanging out with them. And I think LeBron James, like, put his hand, do you remember that? He put his hand on the lady. And everybody's like, oh, LeBron, what are you doing? He thinks he's the king, but he's a real royalty. He didn't know he had committed a faux pas. But he was just like, hey, I'm King James. I can't touch anybody, right? And everybody's like, no, 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 bro. It doesn't matter to King James. You better watch out. You get your hand cut off, right? That etiquette exists whether you know it or not. If you have ever been to D.C., there's an etiquette in Washington, D.C. that you have to understand that exists. If not, you'll always be kind of like out of sync with what's going on. There's a social reciprocity that exists there that if you don't understand how this culture interacts, you'll kind of be standoffish or looked at funny. In God's kingdom, there's a way that things function. And currently, you are in God's kingdom here on earth. And God is your king right now. You're a citizen of heaven. And your interactions have to reflect your true citizenship. You're not of this world. Not of this world. And Jesus is your king and your priest. And you interact with him that way. And whether the world knows it or not, he's their king as well. And because we're all under the authority of God, we have to respond in a way that we please him. And if not, we're displeasing the king. And the Bible warns against displeasing the king. I got a couple points and we're done for the day. We are to give to Christ that the Jews were obligated to give to the Levitical priest. We'll always give to Christ. Jared says, our time, our talent, our treasure. We will always give to God. This is something that has started that does not end. God is your, in a sense, your, your ruler, your king, your authority. Yes, he's your husband. Yes, I'm part of the bride of Christ. I understand as a man, that's always hard for me to conceptualize being the bride of Christ. But nevertheless, I am. 
But we are being positioned and trained to be kingly priests and rule for all eternity. You're being trained how to function in heaven now. And your life will shine because you're not acting like the people who abode on this planet. Give to Jesus. I always say here, if people think we're trying to take your money, we're not. If you want to come to this church, but you don't want to give here, give somewhere else. Being generous is what God is trying to do in your heart. He's trying to change your character from stingy to generous. It's about others. The only way to rectify stinginess is to give. We live in a materialistic culture. We were talking at a Bible study the other day, and we don't realize how blessed we are in this culture. We are the richest people who have ever lived on the place, face of this planet in all of this human history. There have been people who haven't made a fraction of what we've made, whether you're rich in this country or poor. Now, we are in this country, and there's a certain quality of life I know everybody would love to be at. But if you find yourself under that quality of life, under that level, understand you're richer probably than 98% of the people who have ever lived on this planet. You are the rich young ruler in God's eyes. What are you doing with your wealth? The rich young ruler had a challenge. What He couldn't trust God and money. He couldn't let it go. And Jesus said, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples said this, Lord, who will be saved? He said, with man impossible, with God, all things are possible. If you can only believe. Next point, prepare to give to Christ for eternity. There will never be a day the rest of your existence that you won't be given to God. It's okay. It's His anyway. When you get to heaven, you will realize how much of this life is His. As soon as you wake up in heaven and your eyes are open, you realize, wait a minute, I'm still here. I, I, I'm still kicking. I'm still living. Who do you have to thank for that life but God? One day you're going to wake up. Lord willing, it will be in Jesus' presence in heaven. And at that moment, you'll realize, oh, it was all about him from the very beginning. My hope for you is that you realize now it's all about him right now. And my hope is that his desires will become your desires. Christ will be our eternal priest. He will always be your priest. How are you relating to Christ right now? Last point. We give to Christ because he is greater than we are. He's trying to draw you closer and closer. And I'm telling you, the trick is these, these, these aspirations he has for our lives, whether it be giving or serving or loving our spouse, when we may not be lovable, <laughs> going to church when we don't want to wake up, or when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want, we have to work through those feelings, those thoughts, those disappointments, those emotions, and still trust and love him. The question is, do you love him? 
This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.